0: today JT Moa has come of age he has turned into or from just a talented player and a great recruit to a game wrecker a guy they can rely on that is instigating right now another short field for their offense oh man what a great Saturday of college football it was uh it was my first opportunity to go to happy valley and it did not disappoint by the way um beaver stadium was electric and that was phenomenal it was a great experience i loved every moment of it and i I, by the way i don't get to experience uh new atmospheres really ever and so that was that was very cool and penn state fans you should be super excited because you were fantastic um welcome to the joel class show I am Joel Klatt. Can't wait to get through everything that we've got to get through. And I'm going to have to move pretty quickly because there's a lot to get through, in particular on a week in which we are knocking on the door to those first college football playoff rankings. So a lot to get into today. Um, Obviously, I'm going to start with a reaction to that game that I had. So let's get into it. The Ohio State win over Penn State was, boy, a really good win. And it was very difficult for them for a big stretch of that game. I mean, let's let's face it, right? For for three and a half quarters, that was a struggle. So it, it begs the question: If I'm an Ohio State fan, what do I think about this? Let's start with Ohio State and Penn State. First down to ten of the nineteen. And intercepted! Wow! Tuimoloau again! Unbelievable! J.T. Tuimoloau has had the game of his life. He deflected a pass that led to an interception. He intercepted a pass. He got a sack. He got a strip sack. And now a pick six. What a game. So it begs the question, do you feel better or do you feel worse about your team if you're an Ohio State fan? Um, I think it's a bit of both. I really do. And I know that that's a cop-out, but there's reasons behind that. It is a bit of both. So let me start with the good because there's a lot of really good stuff from this win at Penn State for Ohio State. First of all, as I s- suggested right before, it's a double-digit win on the road in a really tough environment. And I want to start with that environment. This this stadium is as advertised. Like I said, and I know it's it's crazy when, when, when I told people during the course of this trip, like, hey, this is the first time I've actually been here to Penn State. They're like, no, that's not true. And it it was true. And I had built it up, right? You see it on TV and you build up the environment and and I knew that it would be good, but it was even better than I expected. That's the best student section in all of college football. All due respect to some of the other student sections, they were fantastic um, and they are loud. And I know it's kind of how the stadium is built, but there were moments in the game that I thought, boy, like it would be tough for a, an NFL offense to operate in this noise. It was it was that noisy, and so why do I feel good about Ohio State coming out? Because they faced that and come out and win, and that's not easy to do. Okay, so that's one. They were also taken into deep water in being down in that game in the fourth quarter, and they were asked to execute at a ridiculously high level, and then they did. Okay, so. This was a great football game for like three and a half quarters. There were plays being made on both sides a lot was being asked of both sides. Joey Porter Jr. is having to cover cover Marvin Harrison Jr. And, and both quarterbacks are trying to avoid mistakes and make plays down the field. Defenses are, are making plays, making stops. There's third down conversions. There's fourth down conversion. There's swings in the lead. We had lead changes back and forth. It was a great game. The level of execution that the game was requiring from these two teams was really high. And so the fact that they were able to answer that bell and win the game and really pull away in the fourth quarter is a huge feather in the cap for Ohio State. That's a great win. I don't care what you want to say, right? Like I don't care what <laughs> what conference you're in or anything. This was a great win for anybody out there. This is still a Penn State team that only has two losses and they're to two of the what? Four best teams in the country, Michigan and Ohio State. So it's a team that rolled down into SEC country and just thumped Auburn by basically the exact same score that Georgia beat Auburn. That's a good Penn State team, and and Ohio State pulled away late, even in the middle of what was an incredible environment, 108,000 strong. They won the game. They scored 44 points. They scored 40 again. They win by double digits again. So like you come away with that and you're like, man. Even for the areas that they struggled, they were still able to be great. And I got to tell you, there was a stretch where the greatness reached a level that we haven't even seen yet from Ohio State, in particular this year. I want to take you into the fourth quarter, okay? If I was an Ohio State fan, I would feel like, amazing about the stretch in the fourth quarter when their avalanche of points started. You heard me talk about this during the course of the broadcast where they score these, and as Gus put it, uh, uh, punches and bunches, points and bunches. This is what Ohio State does, and they they do it almost every single game. They did it to Iowa the week before. They scored four consecutive possessions, and all of a sudden in the fourth fourth quarter against Penn State, that started to happen. I want you to take it... To, uh, This moment in time, I remember it vividly in the game. There's 9.26 left in the game. It's the fourth quarter. And Penn State had just taken a lead 21-16. It was an epic drive. I believe it was 13 plays long. They had a couple of fourth down conversions. There was a weird sequence where they missed two field goals, but there were penalties, and then they go for it on fourth down. They throw a slant pass and get it. Then they finally get in there. They go for it on fourth. They end up getting the touchdown, which Eichenberg looks like he's got the tackle. I mean, it was was a great drive. Terrific college football scene. And when Catron Allen dives into the end zone, there's 926 left. Penn State's up 2116. And that place was loud, as loud of a stadium as I've ever been in in my life. I took my headset off and I was like, okay, like th- this is real. That place believed that they were going to beat Ohio State. You got to understand, James Franklin doesn't have a lot of these wins. And this place, they were feeling it. And the level of execution and play. That we saw from Ohio State in that moment was exquisite. It was unbelievable. I still, I'm like, did it happen that quick? Because... In real time, I was like, "Wow, this—it seems like that happened fast, like a like a prize fight." And all of a sudden, it's like uppercut, you know, right cross, another uppercut, and it was like, "Holy cow!" That team that had all the momentum is is down on the canvas. There's nine twenty-six left in the game, twenty-one sixteen Penn State, and in the next minute and nine seconds of game time, six snaps changed the entire game, and Ohio State was just like, "Boom, boom, boom," and it was like. I'm sorry, what? And after that minute and nine, it was 30-21 to Ohio State. So the offense comes out there, and these are the six snaps I'm talking about. They score in three plays. They go right down the field. Stroud to Marvin Harrison Jr., beautiful in-cut. Bam. Then he just kind of drops it down, nondescript little curl route to Emeka Ibuka, Nice play. Then they get up to the line of scrimmage quickly, hand the ball off to Travion Henderson, and they finally get him sealed up in the run front, and he's gone. Gone. Three plays. Boom, boom, boom. Touchdown. It's like, whoo, okay. Well, that, that was fast. Okay, well, now Penn State's going to have to answer. And they have all day long, right? Like, that's the style of game that we've been in, but this was easily the best drive that we've seen from either team. So then you go back out there and... First down for Penn State, yeah, not not bad. Second down for Penn State, JT Tuimoloau shoves the tackle into Clifford's lap, knocks the ball out, and recovers the fumble. That's five snaps. Next play. Beautiful play call. They clear out a zone. Cade Stover over the middle. He breaks three tackles. Touchdown. Minute and nine seconds, 30-21. to Holy cow. That's how quickly it happens with Ohio State. Because of the, the the talent that they have, yes, but it's also just the level of play that they can go to. See, all game long, they've been playing basically a B, B-minus game for them. Penn State's been playing like an A, A-minus game for them. And that's what it's taking for Penn State to keep up with Ohio State. And then all of a sudden, Ohio State went from playing a B game to playing an A-minus or A game. And it was just like, boom. Boom. And, and that's what's so impressive, okay? And it happened the week before against Iowa, and now it happens on the road in a great environment against Penn State where the, the seventh gear or eighth gear that Ohio State has, nobody else can really match that. I don't know. There's very few teams that I think around the country th- that can match that. Maybe can, Tennessee can match that. Maybe Georgia can match that. Maybe Alabama can match that. And then we'll see if Michigan can match that later in November when those two tangle. It was as impressive as I can I can possibly explain. In particular when and you have to understand now you may have been at home watching it. I was in the building. I, I heard what the building sounded like at the 926 mark after the touchdown. So to execute that way and to take your game to that level, I got to tell you, was, was unbelievable. The other thing that I feel great about, if I'm an Ohio State fan, is the fact that these two young stars just went to a totally different level than what we've seen. And I'm speaking of Marvin Harrison Jr. and JT tui Those two players all of a sudden became great players right before our eyes the week before against Iowa I had told the world really that hey I think Marvin Harrison's going to be the best wide receiver in the NFL like 2026 2027 still feel that way um Saturday during the game it finally hits me and I watch a lot of tape and just other teams and he's the best receiver in college football And that's not a knock to anybody else. Marvin Harrison Jr. is the best receiver in college football. This guy is an unbelievable route runner. He's very clean, creates separation. He catches the ball really well, as sure-handed as anybody out there. And the best part about him is that even though he can create separation and does often, he catches the ball in contested areas as well as anybody out there. And when they needed a play for the majority of the game, they had to go to number 18 and he delivered. He was phenomenal in that game. Uh whether it was third downs, you know, the slant pass that I'm thinking about, the, you know the the play to start that six-play avalanche if you will, that end cut. And he's working against Joey Porter Jr., who I think is probably going to be a first-round corner, right? Like these are tough catches and tough throws that CJ Stroud was making. These were not easy throws, okay? This was not throwing on air. Um, This was not the 130th ranked pass defense out there, okay? Like Penn State's really good in the secondary. They challenge you. They create small windows. And that's why I was so impressed with the way Harrison was delivering and the way Stroud was delivering. Then you go to the defensive side, and all of a sudden there's this JT Tui Wow, And I knew he was really good. I've watched him practice uh, several times. I watched him play last year and practice in the spring. Now I've seen him practice this fall and now seen him play this fall. And I knew he was talented and I knew he was developing, but JT Tuimoloau is taking himself to a place where he is going to be in the running for Big Ten Defensive Player of the Year, right? Like how many, well, let's put it to you this way. I've never seen a football game where a defensive end dominated to that degree. I've seen them dominate before. I saw Chase Young dominate Wisconsin uh, in my career. The 2019 game, I've seen the Bosa brothers dominate. I've seen a lot of great performances. I remember calling early in my career and Dominican Sioux, who was an unbelievable defensive lineman. None of them did what Tui Moloao did on Saturday. None of them. This performance was as good of a performance as I've ever seen. And I think that this guy is now going to be in the running for not just Big Ten Defensive Player of the Year, but you know maybe some national awards uh, after what he did. This, this was one of those stages and games that I will never forget uh, forever and ever. First of all, he tips the ball in the first series that, that creates the interception. He drops into coverage... And defensive back style dives for an interception himself. He causes the sack, fumble, recovers it himself, jumps up, gets a pick on a little tunnel screen, takes it back, pick six himself. He had other tackles for loss. I mean, this it was he was a game wrecker, and I was thoroughly impressed with J T. Tuimololau. These two guys are stars. I believe that they are the two best players on the team, along with CJ Stroud. And I don't know if it's all that close. And the fact that they went there and and they needed to play that well and did and delivered was pretty superhuman. And, And I would be really happy if I was an Ohio State fan. Okay. Where do I feel worse now? Why is it both, Joel? Well, Let me tell you why I also feel worse. Because the offensive line did not play well enough. So both can be true. I can be thoroughly impressed with the way that Ohio State elevated their game when they needed to. But the fact remains is that they were playing that B, B B-minus game to begin with, right? For the three and a half quarters that put them in that deficit with 926 left. Why were they in that deficit? Why was it so difficult? Because the offensive line didn't play very well. And this offensive line now has a pattern of not playing well. So I've seen eight straight quarters of Ohio State football. I've called eight straight quarters of Ohio State football. For seven of those quarters, it was anemic trying to run the football. And I know Iowa is a good defense, so I want to give Iowa some credit. And their defensive line does a good job. And by the way, Penn State played really well defensively uh, for the majority of that game until the end, uh, giving up some of those scores. But for seven quarters, Ohio State's offensive line has not played anywhere close to as well as they're going to need to play to win the national championship. They averaged 2.1 yards per carry over those seven quarters, the four with Iowa and then the first three with Penn State. 2.1. That's 49 attempts. That's not a small sample size. Okay, so that's, that is a struggle. And the struggle is real. And the problem is is that you can't just say, well, they were really great defenses. You can get away with that with Iowa, but you can't with Penn State. I know Penn State played better, but the problem is, what was it, two, three weeks ago? We saw your rival, Michigan, put up 418 yards on that, that defense on the ground. So, so you can't and you don't have the excuse of like, well, Penn State's great up front. No, I'm sorry. Not when we saw Blake Horham and Donovan Edwards do what they did to this Penn State team. So for seven quarters, Ohio State, 2.1 yards per carry on 49 attempts. That's not going to cut it. And in fact, if they continue to play that way and they don't get better, I'm willing to to lay a pretty hefty statement. They will not win a national championship if their offensive line plays like they did in those seven quarters. They can't. They can't. Well, why can't they? Because, Joel, I just saw them put up 54 with their uh, O-line playing that way, and then 44 against Penn State. Here's the problem. In order to win a national championship, you're going to have to do it against Georgia, potentially. Michigan down the road. uh, Maybe Tennessee. Maybe Alabama. And those teams will not let you off the hook like Iowa and Penn State did. Okay? See, those two teams, Iowa does not have a second gear offensively. So that was always going to be an Ohio State win. Penn State didn't have fifth gear to try to match ohio state so ohio state always had kind of the ace up their sleeve like we can go a step higher well what happens when they play a team that also can go a step higher they better play a complementary style of football on the offensive side you see two things happen when you're not able to run the football and these are detrimental to the way that they play One is you don't have the benefit of play-action pass. And this is where Ohio State really hurts people is in the play-action pass. This is where they create their explosive plays. Okay, This is where they put defenders in conflict, create explosive plays, and score in bunches. This is how they do it. How do they score quickly on four and five and six plays? Play action pass. How do you play action pass? You run the ball successfully, in particular on first down. The other thing not being able to run does is it puts you in obvious passing situations. And the statistics, by the way, just based on last Saturday alone, are stark in this regard. They faced 12 first downs, or excuse me, I'm I'm sorry, third downs at Penn State. 12 of them. Six of those. So half of the third downs that they faced were of 10 plus yards. The average yards to go on third down Saturday against Penn State was 8.7. That is a direct reflection of the lack of running game and the lack of quality offensive line play. That puts way too much stress on your passing game. It puts way too much stress on C.J. Stroud, Marvin Harrison Jr., Ryan Day, the offensive play caller. You can't play like that. It's so rare to get put into a situation where you have to execute in that environment and you do. Now, that's partly why I feel so good about the way that they played because they were put in that environment and they did play really well. But you can't expect to do that time over time, game over game. And in particular, when you're facing an opponent that could potentially build a two, three, four possession lead on you if you're playing really poorly in your offensive line in the first three quarters. So... Do I feel better or I feel worse about Ohio State? Both. I feel unbelievable about the fact that it was a great win in a tough environment. I feel great about the fact that we developed really solid and quality young stars. But I also feel really, really bad about that offensive line. Because that's got to get corrected. Ohio State will not win a national championship if they play that way on the offensive line. So they've got three games to get better. You look at that schedule and the freight train is headed to that matchup against Michigan. They've got three games to get better. That's the entire goal of the next month for Ohio State is to fix the offensive line. If they don't, I don't know how far they can go. Obviously, they're they're ridiculously talented and can play um, offense with anybody in the country. And... and in particular throwing the ball or more more specifically their defense is really good and developing a star at defensive end but i just i can't tell you that they're going to win the national title with that type of o-line play all right next team up let's go yeah two of our players were um, uh assaulted i was uh we saw the see, I saw the one video it's the 10 on 1 it's pretty 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 um, pretty bad I'm gonna let uh, our athletic director Ward Manuel uh, address it uh, with the authorities I mean what what a, what a, what a terrible <laughs> uh, occurrence right just totally marred what is you know supposed to be a great game and in a really fun game. Rivalry games are supposed to be fun and heated. Yes, I get it. Like they're supposed to be heated. And by the way, I don't care if players are chippy on the field or before the game, you know. And I'm not talking about fighting. I'm just saying chippy. Like I understand I understand what players go through. Um and 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 that being said, what happened on Saturday night was totally uncalled for at Michigan Stadium. Totally uncalled for. So, let's get into it. Okay. So, I'm not going to get into specific players or or this or that, or what I think should or shouldn't happen to them specifically. Let's just talk about the altercation, where it happened and where we should go from here. Okay. So let's do that. Um, Let's start with the tunnel. I've heard people say like, well, it's, it's, it's the stadiums issue and it's the single tunnel at Michigan stadium. And, and that's the problem. Well, you know what? I don't buy that. Um, They've played football in that stadium for what, 95 years. There've been hundreds of football games played there throughout, you know, the many decades, and there are very few, very few instances of altercations or anything happening. There have been some, right? Like I'm I'm not gonna sit here and be like, this was out of the blue. Listen, I've I've been there. I've been at games and called games, and and Jenny Taft has seen like Ohio State and Michigan get into it and have a jawing match in in the 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 tunnel. Um Jim Harbaugh and James Franklin recently have gotten into kind of a war of words through the press about um potentially something that happened, an altercation in the tunnel. Um, and now, obviously, this one, which is looks really bad, right? Looks looks really bad. How about we start realizing that Michigan's probably not going to get into a fistfight with UConn. But when Ohio State or Penn State or Michigan State come into town, like, maybe we should have some more security up there. Like, what was striking to me in those videos, and you've seen them online, what was striking to me in those videos is like, it was just like, regular support staff that was just walking up to the locker room with the guys. Like, there was no security there. So how about we have some extra security on the games that we know there could be some heated emotions? Penn State, Michigan State, Ohio State. I don't know. Like, put a couple of troopers up there, right? I highly doubt that this thing gets the way that it does if there's troopers in in the tunnel, if there's a rope That is separating one side of the tunnel from the other. And you've got to go down your side. Like, little things like that. So I do think that there are some changes that they can do procedurally on location, in particular in these specific games. Because like I said, hey, when Hawaii is rolling in, like, I don't think they're throwing fists, (laughs) right? Like, this isn't a problem all the time. So when it could get to this point, like, how about we have some procedures in place? All right, next next, I want to talk about from a player's perspective. Okay, so that's the location. And I think that they can fix some of those procedures. And by the way, I think that they will. But if I'm on one of those teams, how do I feel right now? Well, really frustrated. And I I don't want to be like the old, you know, middle-aged guy who used to play, who's like, oh, when I played, no, that's not what I'm trying to do. What I am trying to to think about is is the, those those young men that went out there and laid it on the line, win or lose, played their hearts out, and and lost. It takes away from everything those guys are trying to do. Both sides, both sides. If I'm a Michigan player, I'm really frustrated because this game should have been about. The fact that we went out there and really played well. I know they settled for too many field goals, but, you know, who cares? This should be about the fact that over the last five games, Blake Corum's the leading rusher in the country, and he is pressing towards a Heisman candidacy into November. That's what it should be about from Michigan's side. But no, now we can't celebrate. We can't enjoy this victory, which should mean a lot to our program. We're undefeated. We have a chance to beat Michigan State and Ohio State for the first time since, I don't know, like the early 2000s. And no, now we're mired in this, embroiled in this this controversy now. So that's a frustrating thing from the Michigan side. It's taking away from the achievement on the field, which is what this is all about. And from the Michigan State side, boy, I am really frustrated that this happened. And probably with some of my own teammates. And the reason is, is because the actions of a few have now painted the hole with a broad brush. Now, everybody's going to be coming in with that microscope and talking about culture, talking about discipline, wondering about transfers. Is that why this is happening? Is Mel Tucker not disciplined? What's going on at Michigan State? So all of a sudden, you have entered into the equation all the distractions that everybody is always trying to keep out. So as a, as a teammate, I would be furious about that. Don't paint me with that brush. The actions of a few are not representative of the whole. I know a lot of those Michigan State players. I've covered them over the years. Those are really good young men. I know Mel Tucker. Yeah, was I thrilled that he left Colorado as an alum? No. Did did I understand? Absolutely. Right? Like, look at the opportunity that he got. I know the type of coach that he is. I know that he is hard-nosed. I know some of his assistant coaches. Know him well. In fact, I played for one of them. And now these guys are going to have to go through a period of time where all of us media members are going to walk in and be like, well, what's your culture like? That's distracting and it's frustrating as a teammate. And I feel bad for those kids because I know what it's like to be on a team and be in a program that gets painted with a brush that's broad and unfair. And I feel like that's going to start happening to Michigan State. And then the last thing that I'll say on this is like, I just want this to run its course in its natural progression. I don't really want to hear from the coaches and their feelings. I don't really want to hear from the players either. I want this thing to run its natural course through the investigation. It is, by the way, I should note that late last night on Sunday, there, were some, there was some news that, that popped up about uh, the investigation that was ongoing. In fact, Mel Tucker, I think, put out a statement. Uh, Michigan State put out a statement, and it essentially said that four players for, for Sparty, um, four Michigan State players, have been suspended indefinitely. There was was some language about cooperating fully with law enforcement and their investigation, the Big Ten Conference, uh, the administration from both schools. So everyone's involved. And what I want is for this to run its proper course. let Let's let, if law enforcement, if, let's just put it this way. If and because law enforcement is involved, let's all take a step back and let them do their job. Let them do their job because what I want is for this to end justly so that we can get back to the business of celebrating college football and the players playing it. That's what I want. All right, next up. Second down and six, hooker. Back to throw. Fires long down the field. There's Hyde. He's got it at the 20. To the 10. To the checkerboard. Touchdown. Bombs away, Tennessee. Boy, Tennessee housed Kentucky. And I don't know how good Kentucky is, but, you know, Tennessee put it on them. And I don't know if you all noticed, but I moved Tennessee to my number one spot in my rankings over the weekend. Tweeted that out. I believe that was Sunday morning. Um and I want to be clear on this. It wasn't because like they were flashier or anything along those lines. I just think that like to this point they've earned the number 1 spot. They have more quality wins now, in particular because they got that Kentucky win. Um they handled LSU in Death Valley. They beat Alabama. Now they've beaten Kentucky and they are really good. They've got a great quarterback in Hendon Hooker. They're the number one scoring offense and total offense in America. They're the number two passing offense in America. They've got great wide receivers. And they've earned that spot. So that's why I put them at number one. It wasn't because Ohio State didn't have the lead in the fourth quarter against Penn State or the style of game that played. Because like I told you already earlier, there's a lot to be impressed with from Ohio State's win against Penn State on the road. And was it better than the win over Kentucky? Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. But to this point, I think that the resume wins out. And I also believe that the college football playoff committee on Tuesday night is going to put Tennessee at number one. So Tennessee is going to be number one for me. Now, having said that, I still believe that Tennessee is flawed. There is an Achilles heel. I talked about the offensive line for Ohio State having to play better in order to be a national champion caliber Offensive line and team for Ohio State? Well, there are flaws for Tennessee as well, and they're mainly on the defensive side. I don't think you can just whistle past the graveyard when it comes to the defense for the Volunteers. So they're now 83rd in the country in total defense. And I think more specifically, if you want a better, more accurate picture of what they are as a defense, they're 40th in the country in yards per play. Okay. And I think that that's a more accurate. Description. Now, is that terrible? No, I don't think it's terrible. I'm not telling you that they're the worst defense out there, but it's also not close to what we see in a yards per play uh, variety from teams like Georgia, teams like Alabama, teams like Michigan, teams like Ohio State. And those are the teams that you would likely have to go through, and we know they're going to have to go through one of them this week on the road at Georgia in order to potentially win a championship, whether it's in your conference or a national championship. So I still have my questions, even though I put them number one, about whether they are national championship caliber. And based on these numbers, they're not. So what has to change for them, in my mind, to become... Real national title contenders, like a real threat to take home the national championship. Well, one of two things has to happen. And I've talked about this, you know, prior on this podcast. One of the things that could happen is Hendon Hooker goes full Joe Burrow. Okay. You go full Joe Burrow, and you're just like, phew, the offense takes off. And Hinden Hooker becomes a a meteoric rise to the Heisman Trophy, 60 touchdowns, 5,600 yards, 76%. And it's like, you can't defend him? Okay. Then it's like you tip your cap and you say, yes, then that guy can carry you to a national championship. But even then, by the way, and Hooker's not playing Joe Burrow 2019 level. He's playing great, and he's certainly in the race for the Heisman Trophy, but not that level. That's some of the best quarterback play that we've ever seen in college football history. And it took that level of play for a team to go and win, You know what was it, 15-0 and win the national championship, in part because that defense wasn't great. And by the way, that defense was better than this Tennessee defense. That's an issue. That's an issue. Tennessee, again, 40th in yards per play. That LSU defense, 30th in yards per play. It's not a huge difference, but it's there. And I think that we would all agree that that LSU offense was better than what Tennessee's is. No. We'll see. And what's interesting to me is that we're going to find out right now. So can Hooker take his game to the next level? Can he become Joe Burrow of 2019? Well, when did Joe Burrow of 2019 become that player? It's when they beat Alabama on the road in early November in their ninth game in a one versus two AP poll matchup. They beat that tied team. And from then on, he became just like a rocket ship. And that team's confidence level increased and it went to 10, if you will, or 100. And that's exactly the opportunity in front of Tennessee this week, okay? They're going to face Georgia. It's on the road, just like LSU at Bama. It's a really good Georgia team with a good defense, just like that Bama team. And Hooker's going to have that ability, all right? So there's a lot of things that are like reminiscent of that year, in particular for this comparison. But I do think even if Hooker goes to that level, we do need to see Tennessee's defense improve just a little bit. Um, One last thing that I would say on that is that you've heard me now take two teams that are my top two teams in the country and question their ability to win the national championship today on this podcast. And it had me thinking, like, uh, is my level too high? Is my bar of expectation too high for Ohio State and their offensive line, for Tennessee and their defense? It might be. Okay, so I might be skewed, and I just want to let you guys know that because think about it. Think of the run of national champions we've had. We have had Trevor Lawrence, a historically great prospect. Uh, prospect. We, we had the, the 2019 LSU team. They went 15-0 with Joe Burrow, who played better than we've ever seen. Then we saw an offense that was even better than the LSU offense the next year when Bama won in the COVID year with Devontae Smith and Mac Jones and and Najee Harris. They won every single national award you could win on offense just within those 11 players. You know, it's O-line, wide receiver, running back. I mean, they had it all. Then last year, we had a defense in Georgia that had six guys drafted off of it, right? Like this is unusual stuff. So the caliber of the national champion of the last four champions has been really high. And I will say this. I'm measuring all of these teams against that bar. And I don't know if any one of these teams is going to require another team to go to that level to win this year. So I'm saying... Ohio State's got to improve on the O-line. Maybe maybe they do, maybe they don't. I'm saying Tennessee's defense has to improve. Maybe they do, maybe they don't. But I'm saying right now, based on what we've seen in the last four champions, I think that they might have to go to that level. So Tennessee, they've got to improve defensively just a little bit, and then Hendon Hooker is going to have to go to another level. Okay, next couple of subjects, and these these will be quicker. Next up. The Horned Frogs come away with a victory. Clark gets the interception. on oh, that one. And the Frogs have survived in Morgantown here today. So TCU just continues to win. And I can't wait. And by the way, I'm headed down to Fort Worth. Gus, Jenny, and I, the Big Noon Kickoff crew, we're all headed down to Fort Worth. And TCU rises in my poll. They're 8-0 now. They win on the road at, Virginia, at West Virginia. And it's not a great win, but whatever. Listen... I moved TCU up because they've earned it. I moved them up in their rankings, and, and I moved them ahead of Clemson and I ahead of Alabama because they deserve to be there. Their resumes are better than Alabama or Clemson at this point. So I put them at five because they deserve it. If you go to some of those metrics that you can see on, on some of those websites, you'll see like the strength of record uh, number. Well, guess what? TCU's strength of record is three. Clemson's four. So they're better than that. Strength of schedule. TCU's strength of schedule, 63. Clemson's, 72. Like, they have a better resume. The Big 12 this year is much more difficult than the ACC is this year. And I think that that was laid bare this last weekend when Notre Dame handled Syracuse, when Wake lost to Louisville. So now all of a sudden you look up and it's like TCU has two wins on their resume that are far better than any win Clemson has. And that's the Kansas State win and the Oklahoma State win. And the Kansas State win, even after uh, last weekend, looks even better better. The last thing that I would say about TCU is, yes, they've earned it, and there's a, they just have a better quarterback right now than Clemson. Not than Alabama, but Alabama's lost a game, so I'm, not, I'm fine with TCU above Alabama because of the loss. Max Duggan is playing way better than DJU. Max Duggan is playing well enough to be involved in the conversation for the Heisman Trophy, and for me, he is in that conversation. He has been really good This year, since he came into the starting lineup. Remember, he didn't win the starting job. They gave it to Chandler Morris for their opening game. And then that was against Colorado. It was a game I was actually at. And um, Chandler Morris goes down and gets injured. And Max Duggan comes in and he's the quarterback. And since then, since he became the starting quarterback, only C.J. Stroud has thrown more touchdowns than Max Duggan. Okay, so like... They've got one of the best offenses in America. Their their resume is is better than Clemson. And so I ranked them ahead of Clemson. They're number five this week for me, and I'm headed to Fort Worth for that game against Texas Tech. And I can't wait. I can't wait to get down there. All right, last up. Yeah, I mean, I don't give you Coach speak, So yeah, that's real. I mean, most coaches say you know, say no, but yeah, that's real. And someone attacks you personally and you know calls you and my good buddy Coach Saban that were both clowns. Um, you know, you take that personal. So glad we won. I guess I can be a clown for Halloween now. <laughs> oh my gosh, this guy's a national treasure. Like, I, 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 um, full disclosure, I like Lane personally a lot as well. And this guy is just a beauty. I mean, you talk about a guy that just doesn't care, uh, Lane Kiffin. Lane Kiffin, everybody. And his beef with Jimbo is... <laughs> it's so good. It's so good. Um, Jimbo called Lane a clown. So now Lane is basically throwing the clown mantra back at him. And the war of words and just all weekend... The, what I love about Lane is that, one, his delivery. He's just so like smooth in his delivery. He's not all worked up about it, right? He's like laid back. And he's just kind of cool about it. You know, he's asked about the Taylor Swift album. What's your favorite song? Karma. And it's like, oh, okay, that's that's a shot across the bow. The Joker costume. I'm going to borrow Jimbo's Joker costume. Uh, he said earlier this week we were outbid for DJ Durkin, which happens with that program a lot. I mean, that's just like, that's a, that's an amazing line. Amazing line. By the way, DJ Durkin rolls in as the defensive coordinator for A&M. And all O'Miss Miss does is roll, you know, what up? 390 yards on the ground. And then Lane, again, takes a shot at that. Yeah, it's pretty good against a bunch of five stars. The last thing I'll say on this, like, I'm not just going to be like, yeah, Lane's hilarious, this or that. One, I think Ole Miss is, is, is a good team. And they bounce back and they got the win. I don't know how good they are. Obviously, the the loss to LSU is concerning. And I don't think Texas A&M is very good at all. But at least Ole Miss gets the win. So they roll out of there with a W. And then when you when you really take a step back and you look at Jimbo Fisher and his beef with both Nick Saban and Lane Kiffin. Now, should those guys be throwing stuff out about like Jimbo's program? You can argue yes or no. I, you know, I typically think like no. If you don't have anything nice to say about a different program in particular or another head coach, just don't say it at all. Having said that, it was very telling to me how much Jimbo lashed out. And you know what it reminded me of? You know when you and your buddies find the perfect nickname for one of your friends and they get so mad initially and you're like, oh, that makes it even more perfect because it's true, right? Like that's exactly what's going on. Jimbo gets so mad when people call him out for the things that are clearly going on at Texas A&M. So like, how about you stop getting mad? Right, like at some point, you just got to sit there and and, and you just got to wear it. I think Brian Kelly did that. He stepped back from the limelight and he just said like, okay, I'm going to go back to coaching football. I'm going to you know, stop throwing videos out there of fake accents and dancing with recruits and everything. And guess what? LSU, much better team. Lane Kiffin to some degree. By the way, he's kind of stepped back. He's not as forward as he used to be and out in the media as he used to be. Now he played this beautifully this week, but he's just gone about getting his team better. Jimbo was so up in arms all summer about all this other stuff and what's being said about him and his program and he probably just needs to go back and coach his team because his team is not very good and they're probably not going to go to a bowl game. And that's a team that should be a lot better than they are. Let's just kind of leave it at that. All right, that's going to do it for tonight's show. I want you to to prepare you because now we're getting into CFP season. So that means that Wednesday episode on Tuesday night, I will be recording a full immediate reaction podcast to the college football playoff rankings. So the second release this week will be all college football playoff rankings related. I can't wait to see what they what they do, what they give us. We'll try to dissect it, see what they're valuing, see what they're not valuing, and try to project forward on what we might see uh, in a Final Four in that playoff scenario. I also want to... Always look at these playoff rankings in the light of what is to come. And so we we will have some discussion of what a 12-team playoff would look like um, uh, based on the rankings that they give us on Tuesday night. So that's coming up on Tuesday. All right, thank you for listening, folks. Remember, uh, subscribe to the show, share it with a friend, rate us, uh, review us. And, and again, I can't thank you enough for listening. Uh, I'm having a blast doing this. You can follow me on social media at Joel Klatt on Twitter, at Joel underscore Klatt on Instagram. You can follow this show all over social media at Joel Clatt Show. Come back on Wednesday, full college, playoff, uh, college football playoff rankings recap show coming up then.